You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Sarah Raven, and my mate, Arthur Parkinson. Arthur is very brave, in my view, (laughs) in that he is a great forager of material throughout the year, but particularly when we're heading towards Christmas. And I used to be, when I was younger, I used to sort of rather naughtily go and pick things on motorway sidings and and in the lanes, but I I, I don't do that anymore. And um, neither does Arthur, of course. He only ever does it if he gets permission, but he is a great forager. And we thought it would be nice to just talk about what to forage and to think about bringing in now to make a beautiful Christmas wreath. And I reckon as soon as December starts, it's fine not just to have a Christmas tree, but also to have a lovely, lovely, twinkly, wild and wacky garden wreath on your door. So that's what we're going to do today. So Arthur, what are your favourite plants for foraging? I think if it, if it really is foraging, if you haven't been able to collect seed heads and things earlier in the year, which, you know, you really do need to be storing them before they really get ragged by the first weeks of winter... I do think going back to evergreens is a, is the way to go. And there are some nice ones. And to be honest, some evergreens that I'd never think of planting can be transformed when you pick them for this kind of thing. So Portuguese laurel, I actually mm. really like. It's a very good cut. It doesn't go limp like ivy does. And I know ivy's really easy to get and people are very, normally very happy for you to pick it wherever it's growing. The issue with it is it is one that goes limp quite quickly if it's not in water. Whereas things that have got a more waxy leaf, so Portuguese laurel, which has got a lovely shimmer actually to its leaf. So it's quite similar to bay in that respect, in that if it's got a waxy leaf, it's going to be able to hold the water better and they dry quite nicely. So Mm. on the Christmas wreath, for example, once you've stuffed your wreath with things like that and you've put your copper fairy lights on, it doesn't matter if they start to lose that vibrancy. They'll kind of naturally fade into the wreath and things like copper wire fairy lights will really carry the show on in the evening when people are knocking on your door. And sometimes decay can be really beautiful on a Christmas wreath. So I often love things like hornbeam or beech because that's crinkled up and gone really crispy. So if you're wanting something that looks really, you know, brush-like and bracken, like the understory of a coniferous forest, that looks beautiful. And of course, bracken is the most elegant thing. Mm. Um, The ferns are beautiful. You know, they're naturally twisting and turning it everywhere in that so a bracken wreath, I think, can look absolutely beautiful. They like become octopus tendrils. So just stuff your wreath with bracken, I'd say. And the nice thing about bracken is that brown and orange is a nice complement to a lot of traditional festive decor, which, you know, I don't use, but I know a lot of people love them. So pine cones look really lovely with, with bracken. And so it's just about complementing whatever decor you're going to put on there. But honestly, if I was literally... If I had just an hour to do a wreath and it was mid-December, I would look for beach and probably bracken and bay. I'd stuff it all together and I'd just festoon it with copper wire fairy lights. And I would just leave it as that. Yeah. I'm lucky enough here to have a magnolia grandiflora that we planted, actually. It was one of the first things I planted here. Absolutely bonkers. I had no idea that it was going to get so big. (laughs) Completely ignorant and stupid. But I have to say, in the winter, I do love going to that and picking it because just as you say... 
I think because it's so waxy, the top of the leaf remains shiny green for ages, for weeks. And then the underside is a sort of beautiful, rusty, coppery colour. And they really, really do last. And last year I made, not only had it as a base of a wreath, but also I made swags over our Inglenook fireplace. And even from the heat of the fire, they lasted. And then they became, they eventually went brown. But actually, there was a lovely twist and turn, exactly as you say, as they dried. And you got Mm. this really nice shapes. And I would either spray or dip those maybe the odd one, all of them into either silver, gold or bronze to sort of highlight their, their shape. And, uh, yeah, yeah I, th- I think they look, they look beautiful. And the other thing that I love picking for wreaths is the light and airy sort of candy floss thing of grasses. And so I suppose my absolute favorite is the one that you and I go on about quite a lot called Panic and Frosted Explosion or sparkling fountain. I never know which its new name and which is its old name, but it's <laughs> so airy. It's like the poshest Parisian patisserie with spun sugar over the top. Mm, it and really is gorgeous. It looks just so great. And again, either just natural or perhaps dipped or sprayed in gold or silver or bronze paint. It looks fabulous. And then also the American Northern Oats grass, Casmanthium latifolium. Which oh, is yeah, easy. I've fallen in love with that. That's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. And um, we were chatting through with Caroline, who does our away days with us, and she was saying she had almost given up on it. She'd sown a packet of seed, and they hadn't germinated, and she was about to chuck the seed tray out over the garden, and then she thought, "I'll, I'll just leave it another couple of weeks." And she came back two weeks later, and they had all germinated. So it, I think it takes it can take about eight weeks to germinate. But she now has got it lining a path and you get these beautiful wands of, they look almost like sheaths of corn that have been rolled over by a tractor. (laughs) They're completely flat and uh, they're so elegant and they are beautiful cut for Mm. the Christmas table or cut and put into your Christmas wreath. So I'm definitely going to be picking quite a lot of those in the next few days. Yeah, I can't wait to sow that next year, actually, because I think I think they make brilliant perennial pot plants, those grasses. Yeah. They don't give you seeds in the first year, though. They are okay. perennial. So they do. Caroline actually gave me a seedling, and I've got it in a pot, and he's just looking like a nice little bit of healthy bamboo. But yes. I'm going to really nurture him. He's going to get his own pot, and I'm going to bulk him up, because I can't wait to have, like what you've got at Perch Hill, those lovely, you've got them in rows in the rose garden. Yeah. And they, they look beautiful. Very good, I think, for a windy garden. And um, every away day, I've been storing the the bits of cosmanthium that you've been bringing from Perch. Yeah. And we've done four weeks now, and I've got a little nice vase, and it looks absolutely stunning. Yeah, they are. They're so nice, and so nice on a wreath. So, what? I mean, I completely agree with you, bracken. I mean, no one's going to mind you picking bracken. And bring it in. Don't use it straight away. Let it dry if it's been a soggy, wet uh, week or night or whatever. So let it dry and then you get this wonderful crispy shapes and that beautiful, beautiful Highland cattle color. And you just, you can't beat that color. It's just as you say, it's so good with Christmas decorations. 
And mm. what other things? Uh, oh, well, you're a great hydrangea addict, Arthur. We've got to talk about hydrangeas. I, I am, although to, to be fair on listeners, you will be struggling to get them looking nice this late in the year if you are cutting them. They do tend to bleach quite early on and the wetter it gets, the more brown calyxes become. So you might find them with a bit of colour, but they start to look a bit teabaggy uh, the closer we get to Christmas. That's why... I do start to pick them almost as soon as the first cold spell wave in October blushes them. That's when they look their best, probably the third week of October. So the week after my birthday, I I go hydrangea picking bonkers because I know I've got to get as many as I can if I want them to look really beautiful Christmas. And the thing is, the thing to remember, which is key, if you want a beautiful, colourful hydrangea reef to go on the outside of your door, You cannot really hang that until the week before Christmas Mm. because the colder the nights get, you can have preserved them as beautifully as you can. But as soon as they go on that door and they feel the cold, they bleach, just like a coral reef does as the sea temperature uh, gets too warm. Um, As the temperature for a hydrangea gets too cold, they bleach too and they lose their colour. So that's one of the reasons why I often don't hang a wreath up until a few days before Christmas Eve, because I know if I put it up any earlier, I'll just get a very bleach-looking hydrangea wreath. But if you can find them, maybe you've got a a hydrangea plant along a south-facing wall or somewhere that's a bit sheltered. And of course, you can buy them. I mean, they are a bit extravagant. You're probably going to have to pay almost um, the the popular they get. Things like that at this time of year do become, their prices go up. So the Mm. florists know that, so they'll charge you more. But, you know, if you really love them, what could be nicer than hydrangeas? And I love if, you know, if I couldn't forage them, I would probably buy some. So you can buy them and they'll be in full colour and look beautiful. And then as I look out now, actually, with a sort of low winter sunshine streaming in, I'm reminded of fennel. And fennel often keeps its heads really, really late, as does Angelica, actually. Mm. So those big umbellifers are very, very lovely as the sort of final scattering for a wreath. You know, you wouldn't want to use them as the base, but as almost like the sparkling, dusty, sort of three-dimensional addition, they they look really, really beautiful. And I'm really glad that the fashion has changed away from kind of more blingy things to, you know, more subtle things. And, you know, none of this has got anything other than natural colour unless you want to spray your magnolia bronze or whatever or silver and i really love those sort of earthy tones and but the problem with that of course is that you haven't got any sort of dazzling color so then you need to have dazzling shape and that's where the seed heads really really help of things like angelica or fennel or dill and they dry so well and they really give you that sort of extra sparkly effect as of course do alliums but you would have had to harvest those, as Arthur said, with the hydrangeas, you'd have even alliums would have to be even earlier. So we start picking our alliums actually in August, and certainly purple sensation, even in July, and we hang them upside down. Inside, actually, not even in a barn, because I find they go black uh, with the humidity in the air if you leave them in somewhere slightly damp, like an outside barn. So we actually try and bring them in and dry them inside. And of course, Schubertii, which is the one that gives you massive, really often up to 45 centimetres or 18 inches across those crazy globes. And then I love Christophii too. And we're actually still planting that now for uh, seed heads for next year because 
we had quite a lot left over from a planting scheme. And um, so I'm actually going to put them in the hen run because I think that the hens won't eat them because they're alliums. And then I can harvest them before the hens eat all the heads, which apparently they don't because they they taste quite garlicky and apparently they don't they don't eat them. They don't like them. So um, that's quite a good role of allium Christophii, I'd say. And um, and I love using that over a, over a Christmas wreath. And crab apples too. They'd still be. I think they'd still be hanging around, wouldn't they? At this yeah, time of year. and the end of the hawthorns and the end of the rose hips, mm. if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit of berry is always helpful. Will you describe to us how you would then make a really naturalistic wreath? The bigger, the better. Yeah, I mean, actually, Melissa from Jam Jar Flowers. She she sort of made in vogue just a branch reef, didn't she, a few years ago? I remember Instagram suddenly was full of just reefs using a copper wire base and then just weaving in a silver birch and hazel and bare mm-hmm. stems. And if they're done, you know, it takes a bit of detail. You can't just jam them in. They kind of have to be preened into it and almost plattered like feathers, not plattered, but just laid on top of one another different mm. sizes all the way going all the same way obviously so you get that lovely harmony look yeah and they i remember they just put copper wire lights on them and maybe a little bit of old man's beard which ah, is the clematis yes yes and lovely. if you can forage that with permission of course that will look very nice too if it's a mild winter it's the kind of thing that you see all along the motorways quite often yeah. you think oh my god that looks amazing it's like it grows up a hawthorn and once the hawthorn leaves and berries have gone it looks like some sort of fluffy waterfall effect yes. with all the different heights of the hedges. Lovely. Um, so you'd, you'd thread that on and then you'd put a bit of bracken and and then a few seed heads of... Yeah, of- so you don't necessarily need to even do the mossing. And um, as you mentioned a few episodes ago, even wire really, you, you know, it's, it's very easy to use wire, but it's very tempting to then just, you know, throw the reef base away. And then, of course, the wire doesn't rot down like the moss does. Mm. So... I have started to use just garden trine. The the good quality mm. trine will will take being, you know, forcefully woven around that copper base with the moss. Mm. And I, I just thought it would break, but actually it didn't. So I'm going to use string from now on if I need to cover a copper-based ring with moss. And of course, that copper ring, I recycle from one year to the next. I just yeah. keep it. And if you use the string, everything on that on that reef will, will biodegrade or yeah. compost and you can put it all in your green waste bin. So nothing ends up in landfill. And so that's that's a lovely thing. And of course, the ribbon that you use to hang your wreath on, you can use that from year, one year to the next as well. Just tie it off. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we can do this episode really without mentioning holly because mm. it is the British classic, isn't it really? And like the bay tree and the Portuguese laurel, it's got a really good leaf that will last and last for weeks before it looks really like it's time to go into the compost heap but of course you can't compost it but you can put it in your garden waste bin because of the spines yeah but the berry is wonderful don't you don't need to cut much of it uh, because of course the birds love it but if i was doing an evergreen christmas wreath i would have to put some berry in there so it is worth finding a female holly tree because of course hollies come as both female and male to just take a few little bits of her berries off and plunge them in it's a pillar box red which normally i would avoid if you can make the wreath really abundant and delicate, it will be able to take that red. And um, ideally, I would pair the holly with the hawthorn berry because they're much more burgundy. Mm, lovely. And yeah, you could then, of course, festoon that with a few baubles or make it more glitzy or just keep it as natural and berry. But I do love holly because it is very Charles Dickens Christmas, isn't it? So couldn't do this episode without mentioning holly. 
you've now jogged my memory on something, which is that you and I have both just been in the sort of Herefordshire, Shropshire, Worcestershire area, and where you see incredible mistletoe in lots oh, of the orchards yes. and and lots of the trees. And I think if you're going to do a really simple, like one species or maybe just two species wreath for your door, then it is quite expensive. But if you happen to have any, so you don't need to buy it, there is nothing in a way more magical and Christmassy than mistletoe with, with such a sort of uh, great long history. And what I would do with that is I would create a moth base. So I'd have my wire wreath. And then just like Arthur described, I would then twine on some moss scarified from the lawn to give it a bit of sort of substance and padding. And then I would literally just cut the the mistletoe grit curtains down into little bunches and just feed them into the moss base. And that will, of course, if kept cool, last at least a month on the door and really looks rather magical. And if you can't find quite enough of that and you happen to have a eucalyptus tree in your garden or perhaps a florist where eucalyptus isn't too expensive, then I think that is a lovely filler between the mistletoe berries and foliage Mm. to just have the sort of sparkly silvery leaf of eucalyptus as the companion. And I think you couldn't do much better than that with some wire wreath lights just threaded through and the battery pack um, just turned on as you come in of the evening and turned off as you go to bed. Beautiful. So lots of wreath ideas that are getting away from the idea of using lots of wire and things that can't go straight into the compost heap. And then I thought um, we could finish this week with a recipe that I've started making for our Christmas because it's one of the things that you can prepare several weeks ahead. And that's quite handy at this time of year because life starts to get a bit manic. And it's a really fantastic, luxurious pudding, but it's very, very easy to make. And it's a coffee meringue cake. And I don't know if you remember that Italian ice cream called Vianetta, I think it was called, and it was sort of meringue and chocolate and cream together. And it's rather like that based on that idea. And you actually... You can make your own meringues, but you actually don't have to. You can buy meringues for this pudding. And then you just break them up a bit and you put them into whipped double cream, which has got loads of stem ginger all the way through it to cut through the sweetness of the meringue and the cream. And then you also drizzle really intense coffee so like camp coffee um you know that liquid that you can get and also a coffee liqueur just to flavor the cream a little bit and you you stir that together and then marbling through it with the camp coffee and that again is really important to counter the sweetness of the meringue and then you literally just pack it into a cake tin a springform cake tin put it in the freezer and then only 10 minutes before you want to eat you take it out Again, either camp coffee or really, really strong espresso drizzled over the top in a sort of marbled pattern. And I love it topped with pomegranate juice and pomegranate seeds. And so then you have the lovely sharpness of the pomegranate unsweetened to counter the sweetness of the meringue and the cream. It's incredibly easy. I'll put the recipe in the podcast notes, but I I do really recommend that for a Christmas backup pudding 
well I'm truly in the, the decorating mood now but next week I will be taking a week off and I will be listening in to Sarah interviewing the plantsman, garden designer and writer Dan Pearson so I'm really looking forward to that so thank you for listening and see you next week. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.